Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world. Praise the Lord. You know what I love? What I love about Pastor James and Debbie is that you just, you can't say certain words and, and it not just, you can just feel like we're about to take off. I just feel like that plane was about to go. And uh, I've never, it, it's, it's, it's rare to get around people like this that are so filled with the Spirit that it just takes one word and there you go, you're gone. <laughs> Revival hits, awakening, so. Because, you know, when she was just saying, when you're in an emergency room, you know, you, the person you love the most, you argue with the most, or you fight with the most. Well, when I'm right, they're not me. Yeah, you too. Um, <laughs> the, but when you're in a crisis, yes. when it all break up, you, you, you find yourself, these songs that come back up in your spirit, because I'm remembering where I was in crisis, and I'm remembering how frequently crisis comes. And I'm thankful to God that, that he's not meditating on all my failures, but he's meditating on the work he's done. When he sees me, he sees his righteousness. Yeah. I, I'm convinced, I'm sorry, I'm a little off script. I'm convinced that it is our lack of clarity that we we're saved by grace through faith that prevents us from preaching the gospel. This is too good. I was just thinking about, uh, you know, if you, you I'm married 24 years, I don't even remember what it's like to be single. I've never been with another woman. And she was singing and giving her testimony. I was thinking, I can't, I can't live without cry. I can't live without. You know, her, you just start thinking about all the things that the grace of God provides for you. You know, good health and long life. And, and, and that's why we worship and praise Him. And I just want to make this last declaration. I'm sorry I'm all over the place, but I just want to declare to you that your, the sins you have done, they don't have power over you. That's the good news. This is the power that propels us out to preach the good news. I'd be lost if not for your grace. You need that will I can feel it in my spirit that I know that it is easy to come to church and give us the impression that everything is all right and it is not. But the grace of God is not here to condemn you. The grace of God is not here to, to, to point, point his finger at you. The grace of God is here to let you know you'd be lost if not for his grace. Hallelujah. I, I, I wish it was a pray. Wednesday night, you know what I'm going to do? On Wednesday night, and I just told you because I'm all over the place. I'm, I'm going to praise God so hard. When I'm just, I need a time where nobody care about how long we in church. If you don't care how long you're in church, and you just need to get a good praise. You need to come Wednesday night. I don't even know what I'm going to say yet, but you know, it's just going to be, it's something, I got to get this burden off me. Our theme 
and it, it ties into this, but our theme today is an unlikely people. And stay with me just a minute, Will. I just hate to see you go in that nice coat. <laughs> just once in a while, would you just kind of just go down the keyboard? Just Hold on. It's, 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 it's that kind of Sunday. Your, your birthday's in two days. You're gonna oh. be, he's going to be 84 in two days. <laughs> So, Grace, man, I'll, you look I'll, good I'll at take 80. it. I'll take You're it. I would, I, I'm glad to be, I would like to be this strong at 84. So no, you, no, you looking good. But, Pastor Rice, you know, I've been here 17 years. About 15 years we've been celebrating your birthday around here. On his, on, and it is germane to our message. An unlikely pairing of people from two different worlds, two different ethnicities, God joins together and eight years ago on your birthday, which would be two years from now, they lay hands on you to be the bishop and me to be the senior pastor and us to be a team together. So this is our birthday, our anniversary. This is our yeah. anniversary. Pray, Happy oh, anniversary. Pray. Look, man. Happy As a senior pastor, eight years. <laughs> senior pastor, eight years at Bethel. Come on. Let's hear it for Pastor James, Debbie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's your birthday moment. <laughs> So um, one of the things that we have prayed for this congregation, come up here so you can hand them this gift. And um, They is, didn't do this in the first service, so this is a genuine surprise. You know, when they do something in two services. Yeah, then you I, but I know you would pick surprised. up on it, and then you would try to cut it out this service if I did it, so I got smart. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we... Look at it, look at it, look at you. Look at you up there right there, brother. It has an apple on some kind of fruit. <laughs> That's an iPad Pro. You don't have Thank one. Thank you. I don't have one. I don't have little one. Case. This is great. Got your little pen. Look at that. Little token of our love. You know, somebody going out there That's ministering to people on campus that and preaching was from 10 years ago. So it looked good, brother. It looked like now. Thank you. But um, one of our prayers for you as we transition into the message is that that it's no good being in Bethel if you stay in, a, in your mono-ethnic groups. If in your life groups and in your life after church, if all you do is hang with the people who look just like you, you are missing the inheritance that is in this church for you. If you want to celebrate the birthday or the, 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 the church, let this be a signal you can walk in multi-ethnic relationship successfully if you want to. Our prayer has been that each of you could find a best friend here at the church, preferably somebody that doesn't look like you, that you can ask the hard questions to. One of the things we'll do as we read the scripture today is we'll hit some hard subjects, one or two hard subjects. It's hard to talk about. How do you work that out, the relationship? You can't, government's not going to work it out for you. The law's not going to work it out for you. You have to work it out the hard way, nose to nose, eyeball to eyeball and face to face. And I've got the privilege to do that. And thank you for being a man of God who can take walking with a strong black man. I can't, I'll be trying to calm it down all for you. Brother. But, uh, all brother. All brother. 
because like I think about I think of it, I shouldn't even quote this movie. So he ain't always win. I, <laughs> never. Um, I don't uh, know what uh, I was going to say, but 13. thank you, thank you for the birthday remembrance. Pastor James is always like that. You know, I think the unlikely people, the unlikely relationship, the gospel is so unlikely. It's such an unlikely cure. It's so counterintuitive. Everything, every religion could easily be framed as just do good more than you do bad, and the scale will balance on the good deeds more than the bad deeds, and you'll, whatever God is there will accept you. The gospel is so unlikely. It's so beyond our ability to invent something that that someone would do something for us and all we have to do is receive it. I mean, I got a gift. I mean, would it look silly if I said, well, how much do I owe you for that iPad? How, let me, let me, let me, and I said, well, here's a dollar. I mean, even, even my little small token of trying to say, well, here's a dollar toward that gift. I don't want you to pay for that would have been an insult in light of the gift that was given. And so really, the fact that all we as humans have to do is to hear this message and receive it, then you say, well, why would God ever be judged as being unkind or cruel or saying, well, you, 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 you put such a high bar for humanity. No, it wasn't like, boy, you got to do all these good things and, and stack all these good deeds for a lifetime. None of that will make it to the mountain of grace or nothing will make it to, to heaven. It's just receiving. So we're awesome. grateful. Let's, let's, we don't have long messages, just long introductions. So that's been the long introduction. Acts 13, one, let me, um, you know what? On, on three, you guys read. Let me see you do this. Uh, verse one, ready? One, two, three, ready, read. Now in the church. In Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who was also brought over Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there sailed to Cyprus. Okay, so if we were going to start with verse 1, we know that there is a church that's birthed in Antioch. But the first church that we talked about several weeks ago in Acts chapter 2 was the church in Jerusalem who had a dramatic start. 120 believers on one accord in a worship service, had an encounter with God, the Holy Spirit being poured out. Heavenly language came out. A bunch of uh, peep Jews from all over the world were there. They heard the good news, and 3,000-plus people just began to get saved. And this is pretty much a tremendous start. We see that the church in Jerusalem, however, from the last week's message, we, they got stuck. They became very myopic. Um, and very inward in terms of um, their thinking about the gospel. They felt that people needed to be equally Jewish and equally Christian. And so it was attempts to get them to embrace the culture as well as embrace Christ. Typically what we do nowadays, we believe in the grace, but it's like you, you receive the grace of God and you, then you start living by works. But the grace is just too terrific. So this church is a great Genesis church, and it's a great 
foundational church. They share everything with one another. There's a lot of great life lessons we can learn, but there's a few things that they weren't doing. Can, let me, can I, you tell me to butt in some that butt in? The whole message, do that. Okay, but you, okay, but I just because you I know just, you asked me to do that. Yes, but so I, I think gave it the to distinction, you The back. distinction is, is that in the, in the day of Pentecost, remember there's no why in Pentecost. Um, in the day of Pentecost, it says there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven. So the context is you think that there's diversity, but really it was Jewish people from every nation. So the mindset from Pentecost was take the gospel to the world, but really focused on the Jewish people around the world. If you go to Israel today, you'll see Jews from Ethiopia, from Yemenite Jews. You'll see from Iran, Iraq, Iraqi Jews. So that's so what we're dealing with in Acts 13 is going to be a different kind of church. This isn't just people that, ha- that have the same basic, you know, they're, they're not Jewish. Now there's a collection of Gentiles, and it just shows up. It says now they were in the church, so now we have the appearance that here's this church in Antioch, which is such a contrast to Jerusalem. So is that? Yes, and the, in, in the, in the church of Antioch started as a result of what the church in Jerusalem failed to do. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that there's a persecution arose, and the church began to scatter. But God had already told this same church when he ascended in, in Matthew chapter 28 to go into all the world and preach the gospel to, to every creature. And they, and they heard that, though, is, is just preach it to, to the, the Jewish, Jewish community in every nation and, in, in Samaria. And that's where they became stuck. And this is where church gets stuck. We get stuck on light shining on light or us staying mono-ethnic or going to the people that we're comfortable with. But this gospel message and this assignment and this assignment to the church was meant to go to the whole world. And they are stuck. And in, in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, a persecution arose and scattered the church. Now, how did they end up in Antioch where we're reading about right now? In Pastor, as you go to Acts um, 13, they, they ended up there as a result of the scattering. And how is this church formulated according to the scripture? Well, I like what Pastor Steve Merle says. He says, if you don't do Acts 1-8, where he says <laughs> yes. voluntarily go preach, then you're going to get Acts 8-1. So I'd rather have Acts 1-8 than Acts 8-1. Yes. But as they're scattered, it says those who scattered went about preaching the word. So if you kind of, we're starting in Acts 13 with this, okay, now there was a church and it gives this diverse team. But if you go to Acts 11, you kind of see how the church got started. And you're talking again, our theme, the key word today is unlikely, the unlikely beginning. Let's just see, we're, we're jumping ahead of ourselves, but usually I'm behind myself, so this is better. Uh, verse 19, it says, now there were those, now those who were scattered, verse 19, Acts 11, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So this is kind of, as Pastor James loved to say, serendipitously starting. That's my word. So these people are just scattered. There's no real plan. They're just, it was a scattering. It's like a, a shotgun or a big, bl- big bang blast. And it says, but look at this. They were speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Now watch that. Go back up there. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Hold it there. See, they're still in that mindset. We're preaching the gospel to look, we're in new places, but they're still just talking to people that they're familiar with or they think, oh, this must be just for them. Yes. I love this, but, but notice the next verse. 
But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. That's the people who spoke Greek. Greek speaking. Also preaching the Lord Jesus. But I, I want to emphasize that they spoke to him. In other words, sometimes miracles start with just a simple conversation. Simple conversation. They spoke to him. They just turned and said, you know, why not give it to these other people? Well, I don't think we're supposed to do that. Well, let's just, I mean, I can see these brothers from Cyprus and Cyrene going, let's just give it a shot. Look, these people are overhearing what we're saying. I've had people get saved from secondhand smoke. I was actually preaching the gospel in the library when I was a student at Mississippi State. And the guy I was talking to didn't get saved. And he walked away mad. And a guy came from around the corner. His name was Ed Lahan. And he said, man, I, I heard what you were saying to that guy, and he may not want it, but I want it. He got saved and ended up going into the ministry just on secondhand smoke. Yes. So just from the other, not even knowing who was listening. Okay? Keep going. So this is excellent because what happened from them taking a chance and speaking to some people who were outside of their purview, who were outside of their cultural paradigm, it was a cross-cultural conversation. Guess what happened? Many of them responded. A revival broke out in Antioch. And so a church that they didn't even want to start accidentally starts by the gospel just being timidly preached or timidly expressed. Don't you know, beloved, that it doesn't really take a whole lot? It only takes you to just be willing to partner with God the Holy Spirit and speak the thus saith the Lord. It's already the good news about Jesus, and revival breaks out. And, and I think even, I mean, take a risk. I mean, God uses people that are opposites. Yes. When someone from one ethnicity takes a risk and just reaches out and talks to someone, the stories that come to my mind of, of, the, of how people have been saved in the most unlikely way. It's not going to be me. It's not going to be Pastor James. We tell you our stories because that's the only ones we, you know, it says, Paul says, I won't boast except for what God's done through me. But yeah. when I really do inventory on how the kingdom advances, it's the most unlikely people in the most unlikely settings turning and sharing in an unlikely moment and somebody gets saved and then they become you know, this great leader and you trace it back and you think, wow, that wasn't at a crusade or a church meeting. It was a casual conversation. And it, it goes from an unlikely church forming. And then the composition of the church shows you there's an unlikely team that forms. Now, I believe in that same uh, chapter 11, Pastor Rice, it begins to speak about how the word got back to the Jerusalem church, that the very thing that God told us to do in Acts chapter one, Go to Judea, Jerusalem, and other most parts of the world. The same thing he said in all these Old Testament scriptures that he was going to be a light to the Gentiles. That's actually happening in Antioch. And there's revival. Barnabas goes and sees what's going on and, and, and uh, gets to Jerusalem. Let me read it. Let me read it. So basically, the brothers from Cyprus and Cyrene speak to the Hellenist. And the hand of the Lord, this is verse 21, was upon them. And a great number of them who believed turned to the Lord. See, there's always, it's not about our strength. The simple conversation, there was an invisible hand that stepped in. The hand of the Lord was with him. So it's all of a sudden like, it's not, it's not the power of my words. It's not the power of your words. It's the power of his word. This invisible hand comes in and arrests these people in the spirit. It says, but here, here it is, what you're saying. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. What I love is a church that has ears. Come on. You see, 
there are a lot of reports that come to churches, but they don't have ears. And, and sometimes it's the subtlety. It doesn't, it's not, it's the subtlety of, Hey, there's a person that got saved down here in Murfreesboro or a person that got saved here at Bethel from Romania, or there's a little thing going on in India. You would be amazed at the small clues that come, but people in the church don't have ears to pick up on it. Mm -hmm. And so something that could be great, the church of Antioch would have never happened had the church of Jerusalem minimally, even though they weren't maybe, you know, there's a lot of churches that maybe have one ethnic group. And so we're not castigating them, but there are churches like that. That was Jerusalem that still had ears. Yes. There's so many churches. And let me, let me finish it. It says, and when he came, so they sent Barnabas. It says they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So they had enough sense to send somebody to go check it out. We'll just go check it out. Go check out the revival that's not supposed to happen. We hadn't planned on that, an unplanned pregnancy, so to speak. He says, for he was a good man, it says, and a great many people. So Barnabas, verse 25, went to Tarsus to look for Saul. So here's the other thing is that Barnabas not only went and saw it, but he thought to himself, the only way this group of people that are hearing the gospel are going to make it is if we give them some teaching. Yes. So it says Barnabas went and looked for Saul. And, and this brings in our to second bring him point. To help. Yeah, and this brings in our second point. It's not, only, it's not just an unlikely church because the church was stuck, focused on the Jews only, and now it's having a miracle and it's starting. But God is forming an unlikely team. Barnabas, one of the first things he does is says, you know what? We don't know what to do with all these people. We need somebody who know what to do with these people. What's that? What's what, does somebody know Saul's testimony? Because see, Saul in Acts chapter 9, who had been persecuting the Jews, one of the reasons that they were scattered is because they stoned uh, a person named uh, Stephen. And a persecution arose as a result of that, and Saul had everything to do about it. God, God confronts him on the road. He gets saved. His life gets changed. And, and the first thing the prophet tells him is, is not only uh, you're going to suffer a lot of things for the kingdom, but you're going to have a ministry to the Gentiles. I bet you the fame of that testimony, or the, let me say the fame, the knowledge of that testimony spread around. Barnabas said, huh? Five years later, I don't know where you're sitting here today thinking that you don't belong on the team because maybe your testimony or maybe your past or maybe the length of time it's been since you first heard God say something to you actually activating it. But what if I told you that your time on this unlikely team is right now? That you landed in an unlikely church on an unlikely team to do a work for the Lord Right now, Paul probably was doing something else, building, tent, making tents. He was probably ministering, but he wasn't about to have as great. A, he wasn't having as great an impact as he was about to have. And so, when you look at this team, Pastor Rice in Acts chapter, you sure want to stand up. You, you keep do. adjusting. You just want I to do. stand up. If you need to stand up, go ahead. Because it's got like a little slide Be yourself. on it. It's Come, got a little, it's, I'm sliding. Bring down. the gospel in your own way. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You keep down doing this like you're about to launch. I just can't. I just want to give you the freedom to launch. <laughs> I want, they, I, let me just they. say this. What you said is profound. Uh, what the scripture, you just quote in the scripture, that's why it's profound. But Paul had been told, you're going to go to the Gentiles. That was his prophecy. Barnabas remembered there's a guy that's down in Tarsus that's got a call to the Gentiles. Here are Gentiles. So that's why we need to kind of keep our ears open, not only to the open doors, but to the callings of people. There are prophecies that happen here. There are things that God has spoken to you. 
I mentioned Pastor Ron Lewis, who was in a prayer meeting, and God spoke to him about China. Next thing you know, a door opens. That if he had not remembered, hey, God told me about this. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you something. How many of you in this room have a calling to in your heart of some kind that you know at some point, maybe not today, you're going to go to a, a nation or another city. How many of you feel like you've got something like that? Just stand up. If you feel like one day God's put in you a place beyond Nashville, I'm not trying to get you to go today. Groucho Marx used to say, with a face like yours, you go a long way. Matter of fact, I wish you'd leave right now. But that's Groucho. But, but look around. Look, so already, but, but maybe even without going to another city or a nation, it might be that God's put something in you for a ministry, an outreach, a burden for something. Don't, I mean, sometimes just yeah. share it. And Barnabas picked it up. Yes. Thank you. I just wanted to, and, to and remind. Look at that. This make, is a church. That's why this is a sending church. And what's going to make you fulfilling your call um, easy is being in a team. It was when they were in church, the rich together, many, you know, it was 500, it was a city of Antioch of 500,000 people. take your time and describe this team. Take your time and describe the the five brothers on this team. Thank you. Because, you know, the scripture said there was. Go down the list and just describe all these brothers because it's it's saying everything. Barnabas, who was a a businessman who who was generous toward the church, who, who, who was called a good man. And, you know, you need good men. I mean, the Bible calls you a good man. You're real good. You, you know, you're just, you're just good. I would love that. Uh, uh, Simon called Niger or, or, or Niger. And, and, and the, the, the thing about him, his name simply means uh, black or black prince. And I used to always hate reading scriptures like this in the Bible because it's just too close to a bad word. You know, I was just like, man. And then you read and it say black. You know, and one of the things that make a, a team part, because this is about unlikely teams, you have to have somebody to talk, to, somebody that's not of your ethnic group to talk to this, talk about this stuff. Right. Because this is, you know, just a little parenthetical, just a little detour, because in our relationship, we have to talk about things like that. I'll ask you, do you want me to call you African-American? Do you want me to call you black? Because from a Caucasian standpoint, Many times white people are afraid of offensive. So if you, if you say a word like that, and you and I have had long talks because I'll say, look, there are people from Caribbean, you know, Africa that are not African-American. But just, this is, I mean, talk yeah, about the sensitivities and the, the need for that discussion. First of all, depending upon when you, you went, at what period of my life you were reaching me at, whether I'm in my Malcolm phase or my Martin phase. Because that was what he said. He said he was, his, his testimony is, you know, Malcolm or Martin. In so, other words, that so was I his challenge. Which so, one am I going to be? Put my little graphic over there. This, this, this was me. I was a, I was a, you know, you know, I became that. But before I became that, I was this guy. And that's who, you know, his, his statement, his <laughs> statement was by any means necessary. I mean, and you can take it down now. My point is, is that, that my point is what's funny What's funny is, is hardly any African-American who doesn't necessarily understand, they, they understand that struggle. But it is difficult when you are walking in multi-ethnic relationship to, to assume that someone knows your struggle is a poor assumption. You're going to have to relate. You're going to have to talk. And then you have to figure out if you said something crazy. Men don't call me black. Well, okay, African-American. I ain't no African. I, I ain't from Africa. 
<laughs> I'm American. Well, you just told me you were mad at them. Well, yeah, but don't call me black right now. I'm a human. You know, then it, I got problems. I need to work out before I project, you know, that other, other, other people, okay? And so there's a part that I've got to do. And, you know, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me, just, just a quick aside, I think it's important, is, is, is maybe for those of you who are non-African-American in the congregation, especially as black history, I can give you a little bit of an uh, a insight here. And, and, and one of the things that happened to me, I think about 17 or 20 years ago, I went to Africa for the first time, and I got there, and they was taking us on a tour of the, uh, of the slave port where they would transport the slaves to the Middle Passage. And, uh, and, and, you know, and, I was, and I was in the little Malcolm phase a little bit, and I was a little minute, I was saying, they wouldn't take me on that boat. <laughs> I said, they got to catch me to take me. They said, well, they're going to catch you. And then I said, well, I'd rather die. I'm going to fight to the end. I'm going to fight to the death. And a guy looked at me and said, and this is when I was in my identity crisis, he said, you wouldn't have fought. You would have gotten on the boat. He said, because only the smartest, the healthiest, the bravest survived the trip. He said, well, see, you might not know who you are, but we do. You are an African-American. You're the best of Africa. I said, Jesus, I cried. I broke down crying. I said, he told me who I am. <laughs> and, and the thing is, we all have individual struggles that we can't project on the next person. You got to work. Now, there's another part, if I can humbly submit, to the struggle within society that, that can get out of hand. In music and different things, you hear the, the derogative N-word being used, and then there's, it's confusing. Of who can use the word? Who can't use the word? Did the word get buried? Did it get resurrected? You know? And, 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 it's, and it's hard for in multicultural relationships to understand it. Let's first understand how egregious a word it is. But in some African-Americans, for instance, who use the word, it's an enduring term because it's, it's taking something that was taking something back or you feel empowered. It doesn't mean it's right. It's just sometimes you, it's exercising the power just to be able to say it and deny someone else the right to say it. That's really the, the simplicity of what it means. But I'm going to tell you how polarizing it still is. So you had the incident. This is a less talk series. So you should be talking about this in your small groups, by the way. Why not? If you don't talk about it, who's going to do it? You know, we were, so, you know, you, we, you know, you see that someone took a football, someone allegedly heard another football player say to them this derogatory N-word, took a helmet, and, he, and did violence toward the other person, and that guy got suspended, rightfully so, because that violence doesn't solve anything. Um, and, but the, one of the famous commentators on sports, um, Michael Wilbon, Michael Wilbon, very much was a, asked a about statesman. this. Was you know just a very trustworthy person was asked about the situation. He said, "Well, if I would have heard that word, I would have hit him with a helmet too." no matter what the penalty was. That is an indication. Here's a very successful person who that said by the wrong person with the wrong inference brings a violent response for somebody who has a lot to lose. And 
And I just want you to know, it, they say sticks and stones will break your words never hurt you. That word can, can hurt. But in multi-ethnic relationship, you never, I never fear that coming from my family, not because someone couldn't make the mistake, it's because it'll always be talked about. You need a relationship. You need a multi-ethnic relationship where you can express yourself and then you can know the power. I love what you said last service. You got to say it again. It, it makes you think of the power of Martin Luther King Jr.'s restraint. Right. You know. Yeah, he, when, when, you, when, when Pastor James and when I hear this dialogue about the, the reaction that someone would have if they heard that word toward them, it makes you, it, it, it really is a wonder that Dr. King could be restrained and those in the civil rights movement, when that word was used so freely uh, and, and as a weapon, it was weaponized. Yes. And, uh, and yet the power of self-control to not respond. But look what Christ has done in this text. I'm going to say one more thing. One thing about ethnicity or what people call race, I tell people, especially no matter what your background, but especially to white people who are Caucasian, I say, Many times white people want to say, well, oh, we're past that. I'm past that. Like, and they kind of blow, you know, pass it off. I've never met an African-American that doesn't want to talk about it. In other words, whenever, whenever you as a, as a white person on occasion bring it up to an African-American, they want to talk. Now, many times white people say, well, we don't really want to talk about it because they're afraid maybe I'll say the wrong thing. We're all afraid that we might be that one that says the wrong thing. And then like job of the hut, we go down through the floor, you know, into the dungeon of, you know, we've lost our lives, our livelihood because of some insensitive thing we've said. So that's why the church is a safe place. Yes. We're, we have a safety and no matter how many times I've stepped on tripwires or you've done yes. the same because of our love for one another, it covers a multitude of sins. We know the, the other one's motives. And so we've been able to work out this yes. uh, in such a safe place. So like, yes. I think we've made and, our point. And so not only do we make our purse, but we're on an unlikely team. It wasn't just that they were socioeconomic different. Some were from North Africa. Some were family members. It was just a diverse team. Some were the teachers. Some were the congregants. But they were together, together. They love one another. Love covers a multitude of sin. And the multitude is because one of these five, you had Barnabas, who, as he said, was a businessman who'd sold everything. And so he was a, from Cyprus. You had Simeon, who's called Niger. You had Lucius of Cyrene, who was one of the brothers that came to Antioch. So here's one of those evangelists in Acts 11. And then you had Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. So this is another of the unlikely king. Herod the Tetrarch's the one that killed John the Baptist. So here's his lifelong buddy. That has, it's almost like, man, you know what? It's kind of, in this culture, it's guilty by association. If you know someone and are close to them, then immediately you are assumed to be kind of guilty by just association. So here's a man who was so saved that even though he was best friends and childhood buddies with the dude that took out John the Baptist, he's now redeemed, saved, on the team, and received fully. So that just shows you the unlikely gathering that we have here. And they were gathered together, and they were doing the same thing that they were doing in Acts chapter 2. They were worshiping, and they were ministering to the Lord. They were serving the Lord. And in an atmosphere where people's focus is not on 
who my culture is. Remember, they were, the, the, the Jerusalem church had too big of a cultural identity. But when we minister to the Lord together, it's not about your music versus my music, your style versus my style, your, your cultural paradigms and norms versus mine. What becomes the focus is ministering to the Lord together. And it is in atmospheres like this. It is in atmospheres like that where the Spirit of the Lord begins to fill the room and they hear this amazing thing that they're not just an unlikely team, but God is putting them together and sending them out. He takes Paul and Barnabas and said, you are going to be a team, and you are going to go out. And they were, their hands were laid on them, and they went out. And before I throw it to you, Pastor Rice, I just want to read verse uh, 5, because it said, I want to show you something that had to happen. No, verse 4. So being sent, they were sent by who? And then they went. One thing to be sent is another thing to actually go, to actually do it. It said, from there they sailed to Cyprus, and when they arrived, they proclaimed. And this is where I'm going to throw it to you, Pastor Roger, because they didn't just go. They didn't just say yes and sit. They didn't just say yes and go. They got there and did their assignment. They proclaimed. And here's where we get stuck. Because sometimes we don't have confidence in the message, and sometimes we don't have confidence in ourselves, the messenger, and we become, uh, we become an unlikely, uh, we become a poor choice because we were selected by God and equipped by God, but we just won't pull the trigger. Yeah, it's kind of like Proverbs says that a messenger, that an unfaithful messenger is like a bad tooth or a, a bad ankle. You know, I just think, I'm always thinking, Lord, I don't want to be that messenger. What I love what you're saying, Pastor James, it says in verse 4 of Acts 13, so being sent out. This is really the first church, not only that is a, a genuine collection of, of, of different ethnicities and Gentiles and Jews together, but in the Jerusalem church, they went out because they had to. They got scattered. It's one thing to kind of go out and preach the gospel out of default, but these people are voluntarily going. They're being sent and so that's the, you know, they're actually going. And that's really why this church, I had you stand up. This is a sending church. This church has its footprint in Iceland, New York, Seattle, Cape Town, Nigeria. I can just go down the list. Phoenix, people from Bethel have gone to Auckland, to Sydney, to Melbourne. Um, so, you know, as, as we say, you know, the, in the original Manila church, when Pastor Steve Merle would give the, the message back in the 80s to these young Filipinos, he would say, get a Bible and a passport. I spoke uh, a few weeks ago during the Martin Luther King uh, festivities that we were both allowed to, to be a part of. You went to the big suburban church, uh, the mega church. I went to the inner city church. And I was sitting there in, in Sacramento in this inner city church where the pastor is a very much an activist I've been arrested many times, and I'm sitting there on the front row, and I'm, and, and I'm the only dandruff on the tuxedo, and, um, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking to myself, these people are going to either love me or hate me. I just, I'm, and I'm waiting on, I, they, you know, I can't get up. They don't know me from Bethel. They don't know our story. I'm just a brand new dude sitting on the front row. What's this guy doing here? And you know what? The grace of God, by the time I got through, the P, it was like I was a part of that family, like they knew me like Bethel did. Yes. And my last message to them was get a Bible and a passport. I, and it's what I said when I went 
to your brother-in-law's mission conference. I went up, I'm going to throw it out there. So if it's bad, we can delete it um, from the tape. But when I went to speak in Detroit to a mostly an African-American missions conference, I stood up and I, did, I went there. I said, why do you only go to nations with black people? And everybody kind of backed up, you know, like, oh, Pastor Moore, Pastor Marvin, Bishop Marvin going to do? Of course, he loved it. And he made a commitment. I said, you need to get a Bible and a passport and intentionally go where they don't look like you, where you're, it's uncomfortable. And I, then I gave the example. I said, because of Abraham, God promised Abraham that he would get, bless the nations through him. Yes. I'll bless every nation through you. And I said, if you belong to Christ, you're, you're Abraham's Abraham seed and heirs to the promise, which means you have an inheritance in yes. every nation. I said, now there's 200 nations, Pastor Marvin. I said, what if somebody told you, you've got money in 200 banks? I said, would you only say, well, I'm only going to go to the banks that African-Americans are running. I said, no, you would go to every bank, no matter what their ethnicity, because you have an inheritance there. Yes. And I said, you have an inheritance. And that's what I ended and I left that Sacramento church with. And basically the altar call was go get a Bible and a passport. So they got it. Praise God. You know what happened? I'm, 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 I'm sorry, we're, we're close to close, so we won't get our full points out, but I'm going to show you what happened. They went down there, and if you if just read the rest of the chapter, everywhere they went, everywhere they went, and they began to preach this word. Yeah, that, no, no, just, he want me to launch. <laughs> Got a launch spirit. Everywhere that they went and they began to preach the word of God, people started turning to the faith. People started giving their life to the Lord. And they start begging them to give them more. The proconsul, he, he wants to hear the word of the Lord, and he sends for Paul and Barnabas. Somebody just hearing what they're doing who's not saved, who's in the Gentile community, who just sees all this cross-cultural ministry going on in this diverse city of Antioch with 18 different nations and everybody all separated. And the first time that they're called Christians is in Antioch because this group of diverse people is hanging together and they're ministering together. And they say, I want some of this. And the chief governing uh, governor of that, of that place, the proconsul, gets saved. And then the Bible says the, reg- the, the area is reached, the city is reached, then the, then the whole region is reached. I'm here to tell you that you're an unlikely church. We formed an unlikely team. We have an unlikely message because it seems that this message couldn't turn the world upside down. It couldn't really do what it says it can do, but it can. It can save the sin-sick soul. It can save the racist soul. It can save the hurting soul, the broken person, the violent person. It can change any hard heart to a soft heart. You have the words to eternal life. Don't neglect your gift. And I'm not saying this to you in a way like you better go do it. I'm saying this like he, like he said. It's, it's, it's out of gratitude. It's out of thanksgiving that God's been so good to us, we want to be good. We want to be good to other people. You know, in a few weeks in all your small groups, our whole church in about two or three weeks are going out and we're going to show love and action to this whole city. All over this city we have outreaches three that the church is doing, but each of your small groups should now be talking in your small groups about planning your outreaches. And their outreaches are not just to paint something or to get some clothes. And that's all good and it's necessary. 
but you're looking for an opportunity to speak the words that bring eternal life. You do it all. Yes, you have an ulterior motive. You're trying to get the gospel to as many people as possible. Stand to your feet. I, I pray, Pastor Rice, as we, we close this message, ministry team, you can come down, that we would not take for granted the grace that God has given us at this church. When I first got to this church, I thought it was a Vanderbilt experiment. I said, all these groups together, they getting a stipend to come together. And it wasn't a stipend. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. Because the civil rights movement can't do it. A law can't do it. With men coming together, it's impossible. Again, I'm going to say it. With men, it's impossible. But through Christ, all things are possible. Through him. He is the pure reconciler. And I'm praying, we're praying together that the spirit of reconciliation would hit our church in a new way, in a fresh way. Let's, 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 let's bow our heads. And, and But I want you to believe with me that God's going to do it. Lord, we thank you right now that there is leaders all around us in our workplace and in our neighborhoods and our homes and in our schools that are waiting on us to just be brave enough to preach to them the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice will be out of the bondage and fear that comes when it comes to articulating the gospel. I pray that they would tell their testimony, they will tell the gospel, they just tell what they know. Even if they only know, like the, the woman said, come see a man who told me, to, who told me everything I've ever done. God, may we just say yes to the assignment. Will you breathe on this church and give us the confidence and give us the power and give us, the, uh, uh, give us a fresh vision like you did Barnabas and Saul that you have separated us for this city. You separated us for Nashville, separated us from Brentwood and Gallatin and Hillsborough and Franklin you and, 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 and Nolensville. You separated us to do this work and to see revival in these places. If you've watched this message and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I've got good news. You can do it right now. I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life for the rest of my life. I acknowledge I am a sinner. I need you, my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I confess that you are now Lord of my life. If you've just prayed that prayer, I have good news for you. You have eternal life. The next step for you is to get in a Bible-believing church. We volunteer to be that church. But if not us, we pray God's blessings on you as you search for God's best for you. Thank you. Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world.